3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. Welcome to 3CR Raising Our Voices, 8.55am. Today we're talking about the NDIS from the advocate's point of view. I'm Bronwyn Trickett from Amida, an advocate in the NDAP program, which is the National Disability Advocacy Program. And at Amida, we also have the NDIS Appeals Advocacy Program. I'd like to introduce our guests. We have Rachel from REAC. Hi, Bronwyn. Uh, and from Amida. Hi, Bronwyn. And Judy from Amida. Hi, Bronwyn. Rachel, um, you've been doing the you've been working in in the Geelong office at REAC. That's right. Yeah. And and Geelong was the first to roll out for the NDIS, the first area. So that was a couple of years before other parts of Melbourne and Australia were rolling out. Can can the rest of the country expect any improvement since the time that you've been doing this work? Yeah, if we're if we're talking in the context of NDIS appeals, then I think there definitely has been some improvements since it first launched in Geelong over five years ago. Um, and I, you know, it's best to talk about the positives first. So, <laughs> um, for sure, there's definitely been improvements in the timeframes that they respond to the the um, appeals. So in the beginning, it was just a team in Geelong that was managing everything, and I don't think they realised how how big it was going to to get so quickly. Um, right. So one of the best things that they've done is to implement a more nationalised team that's called the um, AAT Applications and Decisions Decisions Division, and um, oh, okay. they've tended to. Um, bring more expertise into the area and have tended to um, look into things in a more timely manner. Um, There's a lot of earlier resolutions that we're seeing happen. Um, The process can be quite lengthy and um, traumatising for participants to go through. So I think they've become a lot more mindful of that. There's still a lot of room for improvement, but Mm. um, that's one of the, the positives. Um, okay. I know that in the beginning um, we saw a lot of unusual things happening, um, like confidentiality clauses um, when when tribunal matters would be settled. The NDIS lawyers would force settlement on the condition that there'd be confidentiality clauses, so that people wouldn't be able to talk about what decisions were made. Um, and I haven't seen one of those for at least a year. I'm not sure if anyone else has, has had a similar thing, but that must no. have been something that was for the first few years was happening, right. which was quite scary, and I don't even think there's legal backing behind that, so that was a bit mm. troubling, but now they, they don't do that anymore. Okay. Uh, REAC, I, I've... Um I suppose we should introduce the, the, the organisation name without the acronym. Can you, can you tell me what does REACT stand for? Yeah, it's the Rights Information Advocacy Centre. So okay. it can be quite a mouthful. Yes. <laughs> and you've got uh, branches in Geelong and also other parts of Victoria. Yeah, so there's Geelong, there's Shepparton, Bendigo, 
Horsham and Mildura. Right. Yeah. And can you give us a view of the problems with transport that you've seen? Yep, sure. I think the um, one of the big issues with NDIS and transport comes down to the operational guidelines. Uh, the NDIA have a range of operational guidelines which help to promote consistency in their decision-making, which is a really good thing because I think um, a lot of the unfairness that people see in the NDIS comes from inconsistency and people thinking that, you know, they're not getting the same as what other people are getting. Um, so that generates feelings of unfairness. So the operational guidelines are, are good mm. to be able to promote a consistent approach. And the transport operational guidelines, um, there's a there's a statement there that talks about the guidelines being a contribution to someone's transport costs. And there's then three levels of transport funding which are... Um, applied based on the person's need but the NDIA seem to often run a line that it is just a contribution. The operational guideline does say that there is possible to be funding outside of those guidelines if you meet exceptional circumstances but in practice that often you don't see a lot of people getting plans um, just going through the normal review process without a level one, level two or level three um, transport funding. Um, so the issue with appeals is that particularly at the AAT level, the AAT seems to pay very little regard to those transport levels in the operational guidelines. So they sort of almost just push straight past them and apply the reasonable and necessary tests to someone's transport needs. So it's seen as a reasonable and necessary support at an AAT level rather than an operational guidelines level one, two mm, or three. Mm, so, okay. yeah, and there's been quite a few cases at the AAT level where this approach, where the guidelines are almost disregarded. Ah. Um, yeah, so there's been quite a few cases where that has happened. Uh, also, to to uh, explain what the AAT is, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. Yep. Uh, so for our listeners who might not be familiar with that term, so there's um, uh, an appeal can go to the NDIA for an internal review. Yep. And then the AAT, it will be reviewed externally. Is that correct? Yep, that's what happens. So if you have a decision, so if you've got a plan where you're not happy and you'd like to have it appealed, the NDIA needs to have the opportunity to review, to review that decision internally first, which is called an internal review or a Section 100 review. Um, so that needs to happen first before you can then take it to the next level of the Administrative Appeal Tribunal, um, which is uh, an outside review, mm. an external review, mm. yes. Mm. So uh, the AAT will step into the shoes of the NDIA, so to speak, and make a decision based on the evidence before them. So it's not a court, but it, it's, it's sometimes described as like a court, but it's not a court. Okay. Um, moving on to Judy, it's important to put in complaints. I, I think this is something that you are saying this is, this is a really important topic to discuss. Yes, I think that part of the, the way of dealing with the issues that many people have at the NDIS is not simply 
um, through the appeal mechanism that they have, but also not a, putting in complaints and, and there's different types, levels of complaints. So you, you start off with a complaint to the NDIA itself, um, but then uh, quite often people have the experience that there's no response from mm. from that process. The the other or the next level of complaint mechanism is to the Commonwealth Ombudsman, which is a, an administrative law sort of process where, um, as an independent um, agency, that they review government, executive government action. Mm. And even if you put in a complaint to the Commonwealth Ombudsman about your any aspect of the NDIA, the Commonwealth Ombudsman does not necessarily um, take on and intervene and, you know, negotiate or contact the NDIA on your half, although they mm. may, but in every case they will record the issue and compile data that goes back to the higher levels of government, that's the, mm. the Commonwealth Government, to, you, you know, in annual reports, although yes, they, they haven't yeah, been the Commonwealth released, Ombudsman reports. Li- listed um, recently, re- released um, recently. Okay. But it does give a mechanism for... Um, you know, a central collection of yes. data issues for so I I encourage, um, you know, I you know participants themselves to put put in complaints to the Commonwealth Ombudsman, or I often do it on their behalf, mm. or even on behalf of advocates because any any issue can be um, submitted that way. But I, I think it's important mm. for the issues to be identified so that um, hopefully. Um, if the NDIA doesn't fix them themselves internally, that pressure can be brought to bear through um, the Commonwealth Government. Yes. Mm. You're listening to Raising Our Voices on 3CR. Uh, in the studio, we're talking about NDIA's appeals. Steve Granger from uh, Villa Manta. We've got Steve on the line. Are you there, Steve? Hello. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad at all, thanks. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're most welcome. Can you tell us, Steve, something uh, that is close to your heart that listeners might like to hear from you about? Yeah, yeah, of course. There's, there's prob- probably um, a, a number of matters that are sort of quite close to my heart at the moment, but um, probably one that's um, fairly topical for me is um, people with uh, uh, what they what they're terming psychosocial uh, disability, uh, try, trying to access um, um, the, the scheme. Um, one of the things that I'm finding, and I think uh, others are finding too, is it's actually quite difficult for people with uh, uh, psychosocial uh, disability to actually um, access the scheme. And what I mean by so- psychosocial, it, uh, it covers things like uh, you know depression, uh, anxiety, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and uh, th- things of that nature. And uh, what one of the reasons, or, or some of the reasons, that it's hard to uh, access um, the scheme is that uh, you know, uh, firstly, it, it's uh, difficult. To, to prove that uh, you've uh, exhausted all, all avenues or all, all, all forms of uh, uh, treatment, 
you know, so it's, mm. uh, it, it's difficult to uh, to actually demonstrate that you've, you know, tried all, all, forms, of, all forms of treatment and, uh, you know, nothing further can be done to uh, alleviate your condition. And uh, 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 another thing is um, they'll often say that um, medication will um, uh, stabilise your condition and al although it won't cure it, and so you still have your disability, um, you know, an antidepressant or something, or something of that nature will will stabilise your condition, and so therefore you're able to live a uh, a reasonable life, even though you you, you know you still have the condition, uh, and uh, and also, and I guess sort of allied with that, you're you're still able to you know function if you like, so uh, mm. you're not uh, you're not impaired or. Um, you know, so you can do things like drive, and uh, you know, you you still have a sort of a level of function, functional uh, capacity, um, and 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 so therefore, um, uh, you know, you you essentially don't meet the disability requ requirements that uh, come come under section twenty twenty four of the uh, mm. uh, the the NDIS Act, um, whereas in fact as, as Probably most of us know um, if, if you have a psychosocial d disability, um, uh, many of those sorts of things don't don't really apply because um, you know if, if you have a disability like like depression, um, you know the medication doesn't often uh, doesn't doesn't truly work, um, and mm -hmm. uh, you know. W w w Many of us know that it might work for a while and then um, its effects, um, you know, wear off after a while and you'll have to go on to another medication. Mm. Or it'll it'll work in a way, but it may may turn you into a zombie sort of thought for a while. Yes, or, or conditions going to be episodic as well, not always yes, the same. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And uh, so it, it's often very, uh, very hard and very frustrating to... Um, you know, to come up, to come up with a level of uh, sort of proof, if you like, to convince the agency, and uh, you know, should it go to the administrative appeals tribunal to convince the tribunal that uh, that that uh, that the condition that the per person has is in fact um, you know lifelong, and they're going mm. to need uh, they're going to need to be on the scheme for the rest of their life, and. Uh, um, you know, um, medi medication is um, is um, not going to be the uh, medication alone is not going to be, you know, the answer to their their disability. Mm -hmm. So, so as I said at the start, there are quite a number of you know sort of things that are uh, you know of, of interest to me in relation to this scheme. But it just so happens that I've got a number of uh, or well, Villamanta has a number of clients uh, that. Are um, experiencing difficulties uh, accessing the scheme um, because they have psych psychosocial um, disability, and mm. uh, and uh, that that particular type of disability um, is uh, is somewhat uh, awkward to, to you know to um, you know to, to to get past the gatekeeper for want of a better term, you know. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Uh, oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Some topics that are, are commonly coming up through the processes are also plan reviews, internal yes. reviews. Uh, we've touched on transport and psychosocial. There's also consent uh, with the NDIA. 
light touch reviews. There's quite a lot of um, uh, plan, planners hierarchy is another one. Medical medical reports is another one. Lived experience statements, um, jurisdiction questions at the AAT. I'd, I'd just like to ask all of our guests today if you'd like to to talk about any of these topics or something different. Mm. Well, one of the one of the big things that we're still seeing is with internal reviews. The NDIA doesn't have a legislated time frame that they have to respond to these reviews. It's just a reasonable time frame. So we've often seen matters sitting with the NDIA in review for over a year. Um, so a big a big movement has been to try and push it forward to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal without a decision from the NDIA. And this has been a big um, question for the tribunal, whether they can actually hear these kind of matters. Um, I mean, recently the, and the tribunal is reluctant to hear these matters. Um, but what we've seen, a quite a good trend, is that once it gets to that point, the NDIA will make a decision. So they'll, they'll look at that um, review and make a decision on that review. And it, can I just interrupt? There, there's also talk that the AAT is... Um, waiting on a decision mm. of concerning that jurisdictional question, yeah. which I think is why they've put a lot of them on hold, if you like, and it's frustrating in another way that we're on hold waiting for this yeah. decision to yeah, come out. Yeah, it certainly out. is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So one, one of the positives that we've seen is that if the internal review goes, if you apply to the tribunal before a decision's been made... Um, the NDIA makes a decision on that internal review, but the legal team also advises them on that decision, we've oh, found. Okay. And that's been a, a quite positive to get that um, advice, so then there might not be a need to go to the tribunal once you get that internal review. But it's, ah. it's certainly a shame that it has to get to that point, and we're looking forward to that decision mm. being made. Pro, yeah, yeah, decisions being made in a more timely timely manner. Yeah. And getting some guidance from um, the tribunal about whether matters can be brought to the tribunal without a decision from the NDIA. Yeah. And there's also on that topic the tune report that has been commissioned, authorised, whatever, from the Commonwealth Government to, to look into certain issues with the um, NDIS Act, one of which is timeliness mm. and... Um, I, I have no idea whether the AAT is waiting for that report to be decided, but at the moment it's at discussion paper stage, so it's going to be some months away. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. If... Um, it, it if I might, um, I'd like to, to uh, just touch briefly on the uh, on the light touch reviews. Um, we've we've had a few uh, clients sort of uh, mentioned to us just just re- re- recently that they've put in um, uh, section one hundred uh, review, so uh, an internal review to the NDIS, and the NDIS have come back to them and uh, said if they would be willing to drop their uh, Section 100 review, um, the agency would would be willing to do a, a light touch review. Um, and, of course, the, the problem with that is that, uh, you know, if they, if they drop their Section 100 uh, review and uh, the light touch review, uh, you know, turns out to be, uh, you know, not positive, they they may well uh, 
you know, the 90-day period may well have elapsed and they may well have lost their opportunity to, you know, to have an internal review. And that, that may well also lead um, to them losing their opportunity um, to take the matter to the AAT. So they may well have, you know, have they may well find themselves having lost, um, you know, their, their opportunities to have a proper, proper ex internal review mm. and a proper external review. And uh, we've accordingly advised clients that, um, um, you know, to say to the, uh, you know, to the agency that yes, they'll go for a light touch review, but they're not going to give up their right to, uh, you know, um, you know, to have still have the section one hundred you know, the Section 100 review, you know, so they won't drop the Section 100 review. They'll, they'll, they'll go for the light touch, sure. But Can I interrupt there, Steve? Because, uh, yes, I mean, sure. I agree entirely with what you're saying. I think the issue yeah. with um, individuals who don't have an advocate is yeah. that they don't fully understand that process and the NDIA certainly don't explain to them yeah. their yeah. potential loss of rights. So, yes. yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's um, and 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 that's uh, you know been very much the case, and and, and it, it's been a concern of ours because um, um, we've only sort of got onto it because we've had a few people ring us and and say, look, you know, um, you know, the agencies, you know, said, you know, uh, you know, would you do a light touch re review and drop your section one hundred re review, and it's been sort of two or three people and rang us. Uh, you know, phoned us up and asked, you know, what the implications are that we've become aware of, and it's made us wonder how many people are out there. Likewise, I'm not sure that they're actually asking advocates if they want to. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> you know, when, when someone's got an advocate, so it's yeah, it's it's an unknown yeah. problem. Yeah. I think there. the issue is too that there's um that sometimes the people working for the agency or the local area coordinators they don't actually yeah. know what the consequences are either of withdrawing that. Um, section yeah. 100 yeah. And, and doing yeah. a plan review or a light touch review instead and, and that just goes along with the theme of the NDAA and LACs is that it, lots of issues are happening on the ground that's causing yeah. the reviews to occur in the first place. Um, lack yeah. of training, lack yeah. of awareness, misinformation, inconsistencies yeah. and it's, um, yeah. it's a big yeah. issue. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I, I agree entirely, and I think it's probably, uh, you know, a, a case of, uh, you know, that, you know, they are not approaching people that have have advocates of any, of any sort. They are, they are approaching people that, are, you know, uh, without an advocate, yeah. and uh, you know, therefore, you know, probably in a, you know, in a more vulnerable position than, you know, yeah. obviously. and desperate for results too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they're desperate yeah. for that yeah. plan change. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important to um, highlight that there's a, an act, a review of the NDIS Act um, that's, yeah. and there's consultations occurring at the moment until the 30th of October. So on the DSS website, I believe it is. There's, yeah, um, Department you can, of Social Services. Yeah, yeah. you can do a, um, lots of different ways that you can do submissions. So you can do an online survey, you can attend a, um, a forum and you can do a, a, there's a short version survey and a long version survey or you can write write in a submission so I think that's important to excellent to have a say yeah yeah, yeah. um has anyone um uh, or does anyone want to mention the planner uh, uh hi hierarchy um issue um in that um um 
often when a person you know goes and, and gets their new um, or go, goes and has their plan plan reviewed, the, the person that they speak to, um, mm. who you know helps them make up their new plan, and then they go away, you know, reasonably happy with what they think is their new plan, only only to find out a little later when they receive their new plan in the post that it bears a little or no resemblance to what they thought it was going to be, because the person who actually you know sat across the desk from them isn't isn't the final decision maker. And I think um, that's coming from a position of the NDIA's or the NDIS um, principle that it's an individualised um, system and they want to be able to speak to each person and have their plan tailored exactly to their needs. But then yep. from the back end, if you like, from the agency's point of view, um, yep. you know, they can't have all of those people that have actually spoken to the individuals making the plans because of issues of consistency. I'm maybe saying that in the NDIA's um, answer here, but it, um, I can see, you know, where the problem comes from, but the um, it really creates... Um, a lot of issues for the individual because they just don't understand um, yes. how they can have had so much support by the the planner at, yes. at the meeting that they have and then end up with something that is just so contrary. You know, we've had quite a few where, you know, this has raised real, real issues and, and they just fall back on, well, you know, it wasn't my decision, it was taken out of my hands because it goes up the hierarchy and someone else makes the decision. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You're listening to Raising Our Voices on 3CR. Uh, in the studio, we're talking about NDIS appeals. From AMIDA's point of view, uh, AMIDA stands for Action for More Independence and Dignity and Accommodation. We've been very interested in what's happening with specialist disability accommodation or what's called SDA. Yeah. Um, and we've noticed that quite a lot of people that were on the waiting list for well on the DSR so the um, the well the register for supports may have been eligible for housing that they're now finding themselves they're not eligible for for SDA or housing through the NDIS system and um, we're, we've we've got some information from the summer foundation that released a report in April so saying that over 90,000 Australians with a disability in the NDIS are currently in inappropriate or unaffordable housing. And this includes over 6,000 people, younger people in aged care facilities. Um, the NDI- NDIS is designed to bridge their housing gap for around 12,000 people with disability. Uh, but we're looking at about... 80,000 people with a disability are currently not in affordable housing uh, and that's, you know, um, looking at looking uh, looking to the state, I suppose, for support for housing. And we already know that there are over, around well, around 200,000 people on the public waiting lists for social housing across, public or social housing across the country. So this is a, a this is quite a... Um, Alarming, alarming matter that that we've we've been looking into. Does anybody have any thoughts they want to to discuss about SDA? Uh, those those numbers in particular, um, I haven't sort of spent 
great deal of time. I mean, I'm aware of those. The mm-hmm. the problem, one of the problems with SDA and people thinking that they can access um, supported um, disability accommodation yeah. is that the the NDIS is um, structured that only six percent of um, people on the NDIS will be able to get SDA. And mm. I mean, you can imagine the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth percent um, might either be eligible or think that they're eligible, mm. and yet just because of the um, actuarial structure of the finances of the NDIA, whether they are or not, if they're sort of lower down the list, they're not going to they're not going to get onto it, which contributes to um, those mm. sort of statistics. We can talk for hours about this topic but unfortunately we've run out of time thanks to our guests for coming on to the show today for NDIS appeals advocates uh, can I just add one final thing before we finish if people are looking for an advocate a good place to start is the website disabilityadvocacyfinder.dss.gov.au which will list um, advocates all around Australia thank you very much thanks to everyone thank you thanks, thanks for Bye. And you've been listening to Raising Our Voices, 8.55am. Stay tuned for our next show, Completare Bailable, coming up. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.